Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Welcome to the 33rd episode of the No Shame on You podcast. No Shame on You is an organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. I'm Wendy Singer, Director of Programming for No Shame on You. This is a big deal today. I am so thrilled to be talking with an incredible mental health advocate, Michelle Cohen, who has deep deep, wonderful ties with our organization. And so now I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about her. Michelle Cohen is a writer and mental health advocate in the process of publishing her first nonfiction book. She was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder at age three and has always been passionate about sharing her story, which led her to become No Shame on You's head blogger for the last three and a half years. She's here, guys. She's here sitting with me in my podcast. Originally from Atlanta, Michelle moved to Chicago to write for Jewish Chicago, the JUF magazine. She is also assistant artistic director of Waffle Junkies Comedy Collective, where she creates immersive fantasy and science fiction stories based on lived experiences with mental health. Michelle, you're here. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) Tell our listeners about you, Michelle. Is there anything you want to add that I didn't give in your incredible bio? Sure. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I'm 29. I live in Lincoln Park. Um, uh, My favorite things to do are reading, uh, playing video games, and cosplay, where I dress up as my favorite characters from all sorts of fandoms, and I go to conventions and find other people who are doing that. Um, But my absolute favorite thing to do is writing, and I started... I, I started writing my mental health journey when I was actually 10. I recently found a draft of my very first attempt at what might have looked like a blog entry. Wow. Um, it's that's an it's artifact. A little cheesy, Save that. It's, um, that's a special artifact. You need to hang on to that. I absolutely will. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more. Tell our listeners a little bit more about your personal mental health journey. Okay, so I was diagnosed with OCD when I was three years old. I started having a lot of phobias around then too, and I was doing very visible compulsions a lot in school. It was a big problem. I I started medication in elementary school. That has helped me hugely throughout my life, but I was still, I stopped doing more visible compulsions maybe around middle school, but I was still sort of doing them. I just learned how to be more sneaky about it. And then I, uh, around high school, it sort of shifted to like mostly just obsessive thoughts. Um, things stayed there for a while. And then um, when I was 19, I had a traumatic medical experience with a blood clot and started displaying some symptoms of PTSD. Those two do not mix well <laughs> okay. because the thoughts just sort of cycle and you get trapped in those like trauma loops. I did have um, like a mental health breakdown two years later after... I sort of started to process that. I had tried to ignore it. 
I realized I couldn't ignore it anymore. It took me like a year to recover. And ever since then, I've been sailing pretty smooth ever since. Can I'm going to ask a couple questions about what you mentioned in your mental health journey. When you say, compul- I think you said visual compulsions? Like or what- visible, like vi- that I was, I was doing them in a way that a lot of people would notice and point them out. Okay. And that was a thing that was always really embarrassing for me. It's like, I know I'm doing it. I, I know. What were those always, things when you were little? Um, I used to, I couldn't step on a sidewalk crack. Okay. Um, I had to take an even number of steps within a sidewalk. I always had to end on the left foot. Um, so if I was doing that incorrectly, I'd have to take like a couple shuffling steps towards the end. And that was every square. Um, I had to either touch things a certain number of times or not touch them at all. Um, and I was very worried about germs. Okay. So I would try to like, I had a big gap between my front teeth and I would try to sort of breathe in a way that I thought would filter out the germs, but it ended up just making a very noisy breathing sound that was definitely noticeable. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so one thing that I want to share with our audience, which many know because they follow us on our blog and our podcast, is on our blog, you are, it's written by Ellie, and that's your pseudonym. And now here we are on our podcast, I would say live, but we're not live, um, a recorded podcast, but at this moment, um, you're, you're coming out and, and in a way, you know, about that, that with your identity. And I just wanted to hear about that and why now and, and why not before and I, talk about that. Um, to be honest, I was afraid to at first because of the mental health stigma. I would have loved to blog under my name from the beginning, but I had just moved here and started a new job Um, Within the Jewish community, I was afraid that people would see it and then think differently of me at work. And so after I was at my job for a while, I started considering what would be the right time to do it. And now I have just finished a book of essays, some of which appear in the blog, most of which don't, um, based on my mental health experience and growing up with it. It's designed for a young adult audience because I grew up without ever knowing anybody else with OCD or knowing that it existed or how anybody else coped with it. You know, I didn't know that there were other people out there who were doing it or what they did. So I sort of wanted to put myself out there as like, I'm just going to put my name out there as somebody who has this and this is what I do and what works for me. So to hopefully help other people. I, I just am so grateful. I have goosebumps all over me, Michelle, because you are your your braveness and your vulnerability and sharing your story and what works for you, what doesn't work for you, all of these things um, are one of the key ways to reduce stigma and normalize mental health challenges. And you're making a huge difference. You have been making a huge difference. And I just... I just, I'm so grateful. I'm, I just have to put it out there in the universe, how much gratitude I have Thank for, for the years of writing and now, and now, and all this discussion. I've absolutely found that my friendships have become so much more meaningful ever since my friends and I have been able to share stories like this. Even just something as simple as saying, Hey, I'm having a bad mental health day to a friend and not having to hide that you have 
you are so much a better understanding of each other and like a deeper bond. And I ended up finding that like my friendships where I can do that are the ones that are really meaningful to me. So well, that's awesome. Everyone need those are those are the real friends and the end and um, it's, it sounds like it's been liberating in a way. And um, I know it has for, for everyone who is reading our blog and listening now in a way. Um, so tell us, like, from your perspective, Michelle, what do people need to know about obsessive compulsive compulsive disorder? Um, honestly, there, there are two things that come to mind. Um, first of all, it's not a choice. So if you see somebody who's doing compulsions or someone whose thoughts are just going around in circles and they're getting very panicky about it, they're not like choosing to do that just to be annoying or to be quirky or like, it's not, I I definitely see people like, oh, well, you can just stop. You can't just stop. It's something that's in your head. And even if you know, like, even as a kid, I knew like, if I touch this figurine of Snoopy, that's not going to make me throw up but that was still one of my obsessive thoughts and I still couldn't touch it. Like, even though I knew that that was wrong, I still couldn't actually do it. But the thing that bothers me more is that a lot of people make jokes about OCD. Like they say, I have CDO, it's like OCD, but all the letters are in the right order because that's how it works. Or, you know, obsessive Christmas disorder sweaters or something. And that, that bothers me so much because it makes it seem like a cutesy, like, oh, I'm just so quirky, I have this thing, but no, it, it hurts. Yeah. It is not fun, it is not something that you, sh- that you should joke around about because it is actually a serious disorder and it can, I mean, my life is 100% different than it would have been if I didn't have this. I don't remember a time when I didn't and I can't, I can't even begin to think of how different my life would be if I didn't. I don't even know who I would be. So when I see people trying to make the jokes about like, you know, making it cute or making it fun, it's like, it's not something that you just have for fun. It's something that alters your life and you don't know how it's going to do that. It morphs as you age. It changes with you. Like my OCD now looks completely different than it did when I was a kid, but it's the same kinds of thought patterns. And it's something that sticks with you forever. I used to think when my more visible compulsions went away that that was like a cure. But just like when I asked my psychiatrist when I was nine, there isn't a cure. You just learn to live with it. You have a different kind of life and it can be a really good life. It's just people making fun of that life is not great. So what I'm hearing you say is that words matter and we're getting, the world is getting there, but we're not quite there. So we have to keep working towards being conscious of that. I mean, even in, you know, I have, I have middle school girls and, and uh, as children and, you know, they're playing, they're hanging, they're hanging out, they're talking on the phone and I'll hear, you know, I'll hear something like, oh, that's so OCD, you know? Oh, I hate that so much. Yeah. And I feel like anytime, anytime somebody says that I sort of shift the way I think about them a little bit, like it doesn't make me hate them, but it just makes me realize like, wow, you don't understand this. Yeah. And it's a teachable moment right here, right now to be, we need to be conscious of it. And even if it's not malicious, it is hurtful and we have to work on that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Do you have any, I I love this question. Like uh, what advice would you have for those um, who, who also struggle with, with OCD? My favorite piece of advice I got from 
my psychiatrist many years ago who told me the way your brain works, you're always going to be obsessing about something. Why not pick something you like? And it's not always that easy, but it's something that can be cultivated over time. Like I always used to think any obsessive thoughts were bad. So even if I was obsessing about my favorite movies in the world, the Lord of the Rings movies, I thought that was a bad thing because it was still an obsession. But that sort of made a distinction for me between the negative obsessions that just make me sad or scared and then positive ones that just make me happy. It's not hurting anybody if I memorize the Lord of the Rings movies and it makes me happy. It's um, brilliant. I, brilliant. Like, the positive obsessions have made such a huge change in my quality of life to instead of rejecting my brain entirely to basically work with my brain instead of against it to accept like, hey, I'm going to be obsessing about something and that's OK, because that's, you know, part of who I am. But I can obsess about something like my conventions or my costumes or my video games that makes me happy. And then I'm that's not making my mental health any worse. That's not feeding into any bad behaviors or whatever people might think. It's just it's just it, it enriches happy. your life. It yes. enriches your life. I love I that mental a, model. A positive spin on it. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. And what advice would you give to parents um, who have children who, who, who have OCD? Um, I would definitely say if there is a way to support your kids' interests, even if they seem like obsessions, that goes a really long way. Uh, with my parents, they would do that sometimes and then hear from my therapist that it was wrong to do that. So then they would stop. And I got a lot of mixed messages of like, is it OK to obsess about things I like? Is it not? Um, I felt a lot of pressure to be normal because the kind of therapy my parents had me in at the time was not designed to help with my actual thoughts or thought patterns. It was designed to make me act neurotypical so I would fit in better and, as my mom says, not get thrown out of school. So it was entirely designed behaviorally. I feel like almost like I was being trained, but it wasn't helping me with what was going on in my head. So I feel like there should absolutely be some, you know, aspect of helping to fit in, but like that you should also consider what is actually going on in your kid's head. How can you help with that? Because that will just have such a good effect on your kids if they're not as anxious they will just start to be happier and maybe start to fit in better on their own, even without like as much training. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm you know, it's, it's, it's hard being a parent and I, I so appreciate, you know, I have my own kids who've had struggles, just that perspective from you. Um, I really so appreciate um, everything that my parents did. They were absolutely doing their best and at a time when there was even less information about mental health than there was now, you know, they've told me that they felt kind of lost about what to do and would just sort of take any advice from any professional as, okay, this is the one thing to do. Right. But seeking out different kinds of resources too could just be very helpful, especially because sometimes now I still find myself defaulting to that mindset of like, am I being normal enough? at work? Am I being normal enough when I go about my life? You know, I still find myself defaulting to that because I started that when I was so little. Yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think the lesson 
you know, what I'm hearing, what I'm learning from it is that not to be open-minded and, you know, also that not one, one type of, of thought process or treatment might work for everyone. And there's other options. And, but number one, your, your child's health and happiness is number one. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that. What, what advice would you give to people who have friends with OCD? Um, definitely listening, just being a supportive friend, being around for it. Sharing positive obsessions with friends is one of my favorite things to do, but I always feel like I have to ask somebody if they're a safe space for that first. Like, are you okay with me obsessing about this? If you can be a safe space, even just for a few conversations about something, even if you don't know anything about it, it will just make that person's day. Um, and if, if people are trying to work on things therapeutically, like maybe try to help, but don't be too pushy. I've definitely had friends who have tried to help me with my, my OCD has led to a lot of food pickiness and rules about what I am and I'm not allowed to eat. And I've had a lot of people try to force food on me in various ways, but it's a lot more helpful if a friend will just listen and be like, Hey, I'm going to try this new thing. Can you support me in this way while I'm doing it? And to just do that and not try to force your own idea of, Oh, it's so weird that you don't eat cheesecake. I'm going to make you normal. You know, that's, I've faced that so many times. Wow. Um, and also if people are doing compulsions and you're like watching them do it, likely they're already embarrassed about it. Please don't just start pointing it out and being like, Oh, I see you doing this thing here and like making it worse. <laughs> I had that a lot when I was younger from people oh, yeah. who were just noticing what I was doing, but being very loud about it. Yeah. And that always made me feel like, Oh, this is not a welcome friendship. This is not a welcome space. I'm being judged by this person. Thank you for this advice. And um, I think, I think it's so helpful. So now where you are in your life, um, what would you describe? I would love to hear the, these two pieces. What are your greatest challenges and what are your superpowers? Everyone has superpowers, I believe. Um, let's see. My greatest challenges, definitely my relationship with food. My biggest obsession has always been about throwing up and I've always been afraid to try anything new because I'm afraid it will make me get sick. Um, I even tried something new yesterday and I was afraid going to bed last night. I woke up this morning and I was fine, but I didn't know I was going to be fine until this morning. But I still try to push myself with that. But I eat very restricted. I, I sometimes joke around that I eat like a five foot nine toddler. You know, everything has to be done exactly my way. <laughs> um, it's embarrassing. It's sometimes hard to go out to eat with people if they suggest a place and I know that I can't eat there. A lot of times people poke fun of it. They point it out. They call me names. Even adults, it's really weird. They call me, you know, like a picky little kid and, you know, they say I'm hard to work with and everything. So I've done my own things. Like I'll bring my own protein bar or granola bar to an event and just eat in the bathroom. So no one will notice that I'm eating something different than other people, but that's, that's hard. And also just internalized messages that I've received my whole life about not being normal. Um, I'm in weekly therapy now. And so many times my therapist says the theme 
of our session is like you're being upset by something because you feel like you're not being normal. And I feel like I've been conditioned so hard to believe that that is the one way to be and the right way to do everything. That if I ever do something that's not normal, it starts to make me really anxious. <laughs> but I do have some superpowers, though. Uh, my favorite one being I'm definitely somebody who overthinks about every sort of possibility, um, whether positive or negative, of like basically everything. I'm a huge overthinker, and that leads to like my ability to write. When I come up with my creative stories, fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, it's I can basically go into 800 options of what could happen next in this scene, and it helps me be so much more creative. My imagination can just go everywhere, and I, I really enjoy that. And it also lets me like really zoom in and like hyper-focus on the things that I love. And I also, it is impossible for me to be bored by something I love. Which means if I've seen a movie a hundred times, cool, I will see it 101 and be just as excited about it. I can play the same video game over and over, read the same book over and over if it's one of my favorite things and it'll just make me so happy. So I have like guaranteed methods to happiness. That's and it's also helpful at work. Look at yeah. It's helpful at work because I feel like I'm always anxious about deadlines. So I never miss a deadline at work. Um, I always try to overthink about possibilities at work. So I like I get stuff done very well and I'm very organized. So I feel like those things, it kind of helps me out in a more professional way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, I, I always say that 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 I have anxiety and it drives me to be the best at a lot of things. Um times things can be a challenge, but also a superpower. So how you you mentioned some of your challenges. Um, can you share with our listeners how you manage and cope with with this in your life today? Sure. Um, I've tr some of the things that have helped me, I've tried different kinds of therapy. There's cognitive behavioral therapy that's helped me out a lot. Um, I do exposure therapy for any things that I'm afraid of, which means that you know, you basically get exposed in the teeniest, tiniest little doses until those stop making you anxious and then move up to bigger things. Um, like when I was working on not being as afraid of hospitals, I would go on YouTube and play ASMR videos of hospital noises. And until that became like ambient noise for me, I was really afraid of it. But then when I listened to it over and over, it helped me be less afraid. Wow. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it's the homework for stuff like CBT and exposure therapy always sounds really silly, but it works very well. Yeah. You know, you you take the power away from the thoughts. There's like one of my favorite mantras is thoughts are thoughts, not threats. Like the thoughts are not actually going to come out of your head and hurt you, even if you think they are. Um, medication has been a huge help. Um, I know that for me, I always have pictured my OCD to be kind of like a big swarm of like bugs in CBT, we did it like ants because I was learning about the automatic negative thoughts. So I was picturing tiny little ants and without medication, it feels like there is a giant tidal wave of ants that is going to come at me and overwhelm me at any given time. And with medication they're they just sort of line up in a line and it's so much easier just swat them away one at a time instead of getting overwhelmed by every thought at once. 
Um, and also my positive obsessions help me. If I notice I'm in an extra obsessive kind of mood, I might deliberately try to tap into that and play one of my favorite games or redo one of my costumes or something and try to get into that more positive mindset. <laughs> That, that those are great those are great tools and on the positive obsessions do you do you find it that new obsessions come into your life on the positive obsessions or is it really holding true to to the things that you enjoy now new ones come in and i always love when they do because i never know when they're going to happen Anytime I buy a new book or video game or see a new movie or anything, I never know what my brain's going to latch onto. It, it could be anything. Um, like at one point a few years ago, I was playing a video game because a few other friends were doing it and I wanted to do what my friends were doing. And I saw that one of the main characters is a medical trauma survivor. And all of a sudden my brain was like, you are going to obsess about this game for the next three and a half years. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. And three and a half years later, here I am preparing to meet one of the uh, actors in a couple of weeks. And I'm beyond excited and like counting down the minutes. Oh my uh, goodness. I had no idea going into this game that it was going to turn into that for me. But I'm, I'm always really glad when it happens because then it's like I have this whole new world to explore in my head. That's, that's awesome. I want to hear about that after that visit. Oh, absolutely. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so happy to share about uh, positive obsessions. I just, I was very well trained not to as a child. So I never think I have that permission. So I tend to ask before I share, like, is it okay if I like nerd out for a while about one of my things? And if the other person says yes, I'm always really happy about it. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I will be one of those people for you and I am. Um, <laughs> So tell, tell us about your mental health advocacy. Um, how are you a mental health advocate? I know you have this book project coming up. I would love to hear, you know, about that. And I want more details on it. What, what are you working on? When it, is there like a time that we can look for it? Do you have a title? I'm just curious. Um, I guess starting with advocacy, I feel like for me, it started really small. I saw people in my friend group just being open about little things. It blew my mind when my best friend in college took mental health medication at the dinner table and said that was what it was. Like it blew my mind that someone could just be open about even that little thing. So I feel like being open is really important. And that's why I started with the blog because when I was growing up, I was looking for other people who had similar lived experiences. It makes you feel like you're not alone. Like you can do it. If somebody else has done it, you can do it too. And that's why I started to write the blog almost as soon as I moved here. Um, and I was so glad to be given the opportunity to share it because, you know, in the blog, there's some big moments, but also just little moments of, you know, I, I had an obsessive thought today that was upsetting and here's how that worked and here's what it looked like. You know, I, I had this thing where I was like scared of bats for a while after reading this book about rabies and one of my friends had told me there had been a bat in this building like two years ago and I, I suddenly got all afraid and my heart started pounding and I was like, I, I wrote out in the blog, like here is exactly where my thoughts went 
here is my irrational thought pattern and here's, you know, the way that I talk myself down. And I always like the idea of stuff like that, helping people if someone else is having a moment or a hard time and just being around for them. And the book is sort of that on a bigger scale. Um, right now, the current title is actually the name of my first blog at No Shame on You. Uh, I eat French fries with a fork. I it love is, it. <laughs> I figure that's like a fun and playful title, but also a little like you know, most people will eat french fries with their fingers. I've always been too germ conscious. Um, the pandemic actually has made me seem more normal. Uh, one of the chapters in the book is called Hipster Germaphobe because a friend was like, I noticed you were a germaphobe before it was cool. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that kind of works. I am a bit of a hipster germaphobe. I was doing it way before the pandemic. It works. And it covers the story of my whole life and it goes into little moments and also just big sweeping themes of you know ocd is a lot of ups and downs it's not just a linear recovery some things you might recover from entirely some things will just stick with you and it's hard to know which is going to be which so it's interesting to follow through these essays like oh, I start being afraid of this here and I stop here, or I start this here and then it continues on and here's how I deal with it differently as an adult. And I just, I like the idea of sharing it so that, you know, I'm, I'm sending out my proposal to publishers now and in there I use an example that I think is really important. When I was a teenager, I actually invented a role model for myself. I wrote a character in a fantasy world who had OCD and had a very successful life. I never thought I could actually do that. So whenever I was in any sort of trouble in my life, I would try to think, what would this character do? And then I would translate that fantasy answer into real life. Because I was like, there's no person I can ask about this. There's, no, there's nothing I can read. There's nothing I can watch that would give me that answer from another human being. So I had to sort of make it up myself. And that's why I'm trying to get this book out there is so that I don't have to, you know, feel like kids are growing up now and like that nobody's talking about this. I know it's really hard with the stigma. People have definitely, you know, said cruel things or treated me differently, but you know, the, the right people are out there for you and you know, that if you need help, there should be help available. You shouldn't have to make it up by yourself. So that's how I introduced the book to publishers as I'm sending it out now. Guys, listeners, this is going to be a bestseller and you're hearing it right now here on the No I Shame sure on hope You so. podcast. I was, if anybody knows any publishers, you might be interested. Absolutely. Absolutely. Reach out. I said this on, on another podcast once when I was a kid. My mom used to say to me every day when we got dropped off from school and I used to roll my eyes, she would say, go out into the world, broaden your horizons and make the world a better place for each and every one of us to live in. And Michelle, you are doing that. I, I just am so inspired. I'm so inspired and so fired up for this project and the gift that you're giving to not only people who struggle with mental health challenges or, or OCD in particular, but 
to their friends and family um, who love them and um, how we can learn and see the inside thinkings of, 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 of your experience. So I'm just so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Some of it has been really hard to share, especially it has been eight years since that bigger mental health crisis of mine. And I was finally in the writing process of the book, able to go back and read some of what I was writing back then. I used to keep journals of all my negative thoughts uh, to work on them in therapy. And it's, you know, it's intimidating going back and looking at all of that. And I try to write everything from like a current perspective. So getting back in that headspace was upsetting and difficult, but I want to, if doing that will help somebody else, I'm okay with me being in that uncomfortable or painful space for a while, as long as I can, you know, take care of myself after. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so much gratitude and, and, and that's important to know too. Um, I think I'll close with this final question that I love. And I ask a lot of people in our podcast, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I feel like honestly, a lot of the things that I'm doing in my life now, I'd like to keep doing in 10 years. I want to keep going to my conventions, always playing new games, reading new books. I'd, I'd love to find somebody to fall in love with. Um, I, somebody who understands me and hopefully we have some of these interests in common so we can do these things together. Um, I would also love to have some pets, um, dogs, uh, hopefully maybe some goats. I love goats very, very much. Uh, also cows. I don't know if I'd be able to have a cow, but you never know. And, uh, I would probably dress them up in outfits that match my outfits that I wear to conventions. Um, we recently lost my childhood dog and I always used to have him in my pictures with my costumes. And so I would, I feel like I would just be doing that. <laughs> I love it. I see and it. Just and doing I love what it. makes me happy. I love it. And, and writing uh, books because another passion of mine is mental health representation in genres like fantasy and science fiction. Uh, last year I wrote a character with OCD. Who's like a fantasy mechanic who uses his brain as like a superpower. And I just, I loved writing that. I want to see that more in fiction. So just doing that and coming up with all these fantasy universes and just having fun with my, what my brain can do instead of being limited by what it can't. Oh, Michelle, this is so powerful. And I'm just so grateful for your time. Thank you for being with us here today. And um, stay tuned on our No Shame on You social channels for the continued blog of that Michelle does with us. And we will definitely share information when this project comes to fruition. Um, so stay tuned, everybody. And thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Have a great day.